Hey guys, I have a special interview for you today with Dodd Codwell. He is a serial entrepreneur and I hope you enjoy his story. Hey, I'm Kevin Dees and this is the Robo Juice Podcast. Today I am joined by a serial entrepreneur, the president of a nonprofit organization, realtor, and apparently a golf ball salesman. What made you want to do entrepreneurial things like this, selling golf balls? Is that where it all started for you? Yeah, we was just uh, telling Kevin a little bit earlier, uh, you know, kind of telling you about my childhood foray into the entrepreneurial world. And I don't think it's an original idea, but you know, a friend, a friend of mine lived on a golf course uh, and he and I would go uh, search in the woods and ponds and creeks for stray golf balls and then you know put them in a bucket clean them up put them in a bucket and sell them back to the golfers at the at the tees so i think that was my first foray i grew up my dad was an is an entrepreneur um so you close with your dad uh yeah very close to my dad but he uh when i was a little kid he had a family business was basically in our backyard um so i was kind of around that um around that all the time so did he recruit you and force you to be an entrepreneur or was it just in the family no i mean i actually worked in the family business yeah since i was a little kid but i guess that doesn't make that makes me an employee not an entrepreneur you know (laughs) so and then i worked uh worked in that after college um as well so i kind of it was actually when i left the family business that um kind of towards my adult career that i um uh started down the entrepreneurial um, track. Other than that, I was yeah, kind of working in the family business. So you've been an entrepreneur since what age then? Um, I left the family business when I was 26. And uh, gosh, I'm trying to think, or maybe I just turned 26. No, I think I was 26. I think when I was 27 uh, was when I kind of started, um, started doing real estate down. In, I was not a realtor. Uh, I've never been a realtor, but I started doing real estate development um, down. I was living in Central America uh, in Panama, so I started, started there. Tell me about that. Why Panama? Um, as part of kind of some of my uh, responsibilities in the business, I was doing some uh, both international sales, but also um, like site development. We had considered kind of doing a manufacturing facility in Central America and I've been down there. I didn't know Spanish, but I wanted to learn Spanish and I loved it, you know, when I visited uh Central America. So um yeah, I was ready to kind of strike out my own, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to learn Spanish. So I um bought a bought a one way ticket to Guatemala um and learned learned Spanish there. Ended up, you know, over the course of, you know, nine months or so down in um down in Panama and I really liked Panama and kind of business environment and everything. So, um, was it yeah. a successful venture? I mean, that seems like it's uh, kind of no, risky not, to not really um, go to Panama. I mean, you sit by one way ticket, right? That was to Guatemala. That was to learn Spanish. Yeah, I mean, okay, um, yeah, learn. I mean, I ended up coming back. It's not like you know, like right. Uh, I came back to visit some and every everything. When even when I, I lived down in Central America for about four years, uh, I mean, that was. I basically hit the you know mortgage crisis, and it um, that was kind of at the tail end of. That's why I moved back to the U.S. Um, was because there was no more real estate to be developed really for for a time, 
so I didn't have much to do. So I would say no, I was not super successful. Um, I had some stuff that worked before the crash. Um, and, you know, kind of, I guess here in the U.S., it was like the uh, end of 2008, like November of 2008. But down there is maybe like a, a year lag. So I was still down there, kind of that year lag, and then I had to tie up loose ends for maybe another, you know, six months or something like that. So I guess it was 2010 that I moved back. So at least you came out with Spanish, right? Yeah, definitely came so out. So you can speak Spanish, Spanish then? Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah, Fluently? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not like a native speaker or anything, but, um, uh, but yeah, I would say fluently. Unfortunately, I don't get to use it. Uh, um, use it a ton, uh, so definitely forget vocabulary sometime. And every, but uh, other than that, yeah. Okay. So you're back in the United States. Mm -hmm. What's next? Uh, you mean once I came came back? What's yeah? What was next for you? Uh, yeah, I uh, let's see. Tried to start this business with a buddy that was still living down there, a Colombian friend. He was living in Panama. We we're gonna like export like luxury vehicles like that have been wrecked and uh, anyway that ended up not working but i ended up did it actually start and then no, or did the, I mean, it was I started an idea. the business but then i had like gotten all these like permits and all like wholesale dealer license and bonded like all this kind of stuff and i was like well and that ended up not working but i, I ended up starting a um uh another business within the car industry auto industry and that did not work uh, that wasn't kind of the wholesale not the retail the retail side um so that failed that was kind of my first foray back back when i moved back to the u.s and then that failed and then um after that i started a software company that failed and then um you know finally moon clerk which is the business i have now yeah so before we get to moon clerk which is Obviously, I think your successful story of today. Mm -hmm. How did you, you're here, we're here, if people don't know, we're here at uh, what used to be Cowork Greenville. It's mm -hmm. now Atlo or Atlas mm -hmm. Local. Mm -hmm. And you've been working out of a co-work space with your team mm -hmm. of two companies. Mm -hmm. And then, but this is in Greenville. So how did you go from Panama to, to Greenville. Uh, is your family from Greenville? Uh, my family's from Spartanburg, so that's where I grew up. I went to school in, at Furman. And this is Greenville, uh, South Carolina. Yeah, Greenville. I went to school at Furman, which is here. That was back in the 90s. Um, I graduated 2001, so 97 to 01. Um, and Greenville, you know, wasn't that great of a place uh, back then. But when I moved back from Panama, you know, Greenville had changed a lot since I had been, um, been in college and was a pretty cool place. There wasn't really much of a tech scene at all in Spartanburg, um, at least at the time. There may be now, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I had heard about, actually, my first, my second hire for that first software company worked at Cowork. Um, and so that's kind of how I found out about it, and that there were, um, uh, there's a little bit more, there's even more of a tech scene now, and well, you know, kind of a web scene now in Greenville. At the time, there wasn't as big of a one, but there was one. There was, a, you know, a scene of, of web developers and everything. So I moved to uh, Greenville and started working out of uh, an echo work. Okay. Yeah. So 
you have all these entrepreneurial trying to make money, you have that one side of the coin. And on the other side, you have nonprofit. And the nonprofit is rice bowls. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when did that start? Was this at the same time as some of these other ventures? Um, well, like rice bowls I... started in 1980. Um, okay. So I was two. So it definitely, you know, I didn't start it then. My um, dad had been involved in it kind of early on in the 80s, and it had kind of had its heyday in the 80s and then kind of died off um, in the 90s. And So this is a family connection. Uh, yeah, that, that, well, it, so it was started out of the church that I grew up in. And Rice Bowls, for those who don't know, is an orphan care uh, nonprofit. We uh, partner right now with uh, 58 children's homes in nine different countries, and we, fund their, we do uh, fundraising projects in the U.S. and raise money in the U.S., and we fund their, the food budgets for the children's homes, and that's generally you know, 70% of their you know total budget so the idea there is to take the financial burden off of the direct so they can focus on you know loving the kids um but we had kind of changed up the business i, I started doing that it had kind of died off and the board was getting old like in their 80s uh and they were either going to kind of shut it down or um, have somebody young take it over so i've always been volunteer president the guy who started it um is I this around 2003 Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was probably 24. I'm 38 now. Um, yeah, so I guess, uh, yeah, somewhere in there. Um, and uh, So the tech, tech is kind of starting to happen. I mean, it's already kind of happened, but you had the boom and bust of 2000. Yeah, yeah, but I wasn't in tech or anything. I was working in the family business at the right. time, which is manufacturing. Um, but, you know, I... I don't know, I kind of wanted to do something to give back, but also uh, kind of use my interest in business, marketing, and all that. And it took us a while, but um, kind of figuring out what we we're going to do, we really changed up the business model uh, for the organization in 2007 and started. Before that, it always been volunteer staff, and so I hired some, like, full-time staff. So was that the change? Was it moving toward hiring people? No, we act well, I mean, that was one of it. We actually, uh, before... Uh, we did not support children's homes. Um, it was like kind of general world hunger uh, type organization. And it was basically, we kind of sold the bowls at cost, these little plastic piggy banks in the shape of a bowl of rice. And we sold those at cost. And then people would basically fill them up and um, with coins, you know, dollar bills or whatever, and then send them basically to world hunger. We didn't receive the money. It was going towards... Um, really where they wanted it. So we changed it up where we gave the bowls away for free and we, uh, we then you know, basically had them send the funds back into us and then we started partnering, developing these long-term relationships with children's homes. Um, so you went from basically being a third party, collecting and sending it to now, you're building the res these relationships overseas? Mm -hmm. That's correct, yeah. And what countries? Uh, we are now, we started off in India. Um, and we're now in nine different countries. We're in uh, Haiti, uh, Nicaragua, Honduras, South Africa, Rwanda, Ethiopia, Zambia, um, India, and the Philippines. Were you, just out of curiosity, mm -hmm. during the Haiti earthquake, were, were y'all involved? In we were. I was actually there, I want to say like two days after the earthquake, I was in Haiti. Um, we had our... Uh, our home there, uh, you know, all the kids were fine, 
but uh, they are kind of building was non-livable um, after the earthquake, not structurally sound. So um, we went, actually flew into um, Dominican Republic, uh, and then we drove across like at midnight, um, you know, across the border to Haiti because you couldn't get in, you know, with flights. Uh, and yeah, we camped out there, and we ended up kind of the goal there was to negotiate and to find a new home um, for uh, you know for our our children's home there. So I was there for uh, for about a week and pretty primitive. Uh, what was primitive that experience conditions. like? What, what what was the feeling uh, in the air? I mean, there's there had yeah. to be a lot of people. Yeah, coming in and out. I mean, being I guess it was maybe three days after something like that. Like some most people. I mean, most everybody was already out of the rubble uh, and everything, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty pretty insane, and um, it's uh, you know a lot of people newly amputated, um, you know all that, and uh, you know we yeah there was no we didn't have any water or uh, you know, any running water or electricity or. Uh, really anything and no not really health care almost have had to deliver a child <laughs> at one point this lady was probably have zero experience in that uh but there really wasn't anybody else around we did end up finding somebody who could help with that because i'm 100 percent unqualified but right. um yeah, yeah anyway. i could i can only imagine yeah yeah so um it was a pretty it was a cool experience we did end up finding them another home um so that was uh that was great i went yeah, but I don't know, about ten days without a shower or anything. <laughs> so it was, I was sure I was smelling pretty rank. Right. Were yeah. the were the kids and glad when y'all arrived, or was everybody yeah. kind of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the kids were pretty, uh, pretty. What was their feeling about the whole situation? Pretty resilient. Gosh, that was like almost a decade ago. Um, it's hard to remember. I mean, you know, they're all ages and everything. The kids were, the kids seemed fine. I mean, they didn't. None of them were injured or hurt or anything like that, and they kind of lived a little bit on a compound, so they didn't necessarily like see everything you know around the country, you know, like um, or around Port-au-Prince. We were in Port-au-Prince, uh, fairly near the airport. So, so obviously, this transition from being a third party has really impacted how you get involved. Then, sure, sure, yeah. As a, so yeah. you you're not just collecting. Yeah, we're to have your yeah, hands direct on partnerships. Yeah, which is why we. You know, one of the reasons we needed more staff, and we're not a huge, we have like seven staff members, um, so we're not like a huge organization. How did you, I mean, where were you when you came, and how did you get to seven people? Uh, when we came, it was just me, and I was volunteer, and just kind of did it part-time, and then we had a full-time, uh, you know, our first full-time person, and we were just at that, at a full-time person for probably a couple, a few years, and then we hired like an, uh, an assistant, and then, um, yeah, I just... Well, over time, as we've grown, how did you do that? Was it just word of mouth? I mean, it had been. Well, no, we. Well, now I would say like the actual revenue from the bowl, that little thing, the little bowl. It used to be a hundred percent of our revenue. Now it's probably you know twenty-five to thirty, thirty percent of our revenue. So we've grown in other ways, like you know corporate donations, all that kind of stuff, and the bowl's grown. We go, you know, went and started going to conferences and advertising and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it was, you know, we had to start doing marketing and design and uh, all that kind of stuff. So then back to Greenville, South Carolina, while all of this is going on, uh, 
you have these different ideas. You mentioned a business that failed. Mm -hmm. And what was that business? Uh, Bell Strike. Um, and so that was uh, my first kind of foray into software. Um, and I've been interested in, you know. Have you, had you done software before? No, no, I hadn't done so why, software. why in the world would you step into tech? Was uh, it just interesting to you? Yeah, or? it was just interesting. I was curious and it was interesting. And um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, remember I went to Barnes and Noble. I didn't, even, I didn't know anything about programming and I wasn't gonna, I didn't wanna be a programmer, but I felt like I needed to learn. And I remember I bought like, you know, all the Four Dummies books, ML for Dummies and, just trying to, you know, learn. So I would just like read through books and just get a, so I could even have conversations with developers um, and, you know, that type thing. So I would just read, read a lot. And uh, even though I didn't want to be a developer, but, um, and then ended up, um, you know, meeting some developers and hiring them. And that was kind of. Uh, right. And that was at the co-work. Uh, yes, that was, well, I was maybe for about two months working on that, that business before I moved to co-work. Um, but then when I hired, uh, Sean, who, um, was working at co-work, we decided just to move over, move the business over there. Yeah. So, Bell Strike, how long did that last? Oh, gosh, we worked on that. That was like a major learning lesson. I dropped a ton of money. We started off, I thought I was going to be able to do it with like one employee, three employees later, and like. Two years later, we finally launched the business, and then it basically, you know, I'm trying to think, it failed in six months or so. It was just too much, just a bleeding money and not working. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it didn't last super long. It lasted, you know, we had it up a lot. Well, I said we kept it up for a long time, but I wasn't necessarily working on it for a super long time after we launched, and it took forever to launch it. So I learned a lot of lessons. Right. Why? Number one, what is Bell Strike? We've been talking about Bell Strike, but yeah, what sorry, was yeah. it? So this was kind of like, uh, you know, 2010. So it's like Squarespace wasn't really big then. It was like, there weren't a lot of great options for creating, um, you know. Like so this really is a website building really, yeah, tool. Yeah, specifically, I was in the nonprofit world as a for-profit company, but specifically for nonprofits. So it was like in a few minutes, you could have, you know, a good-looking website that accepted donations. Um, so that's kind of what it was, a really, really stripped down CMS just built for small nonprofits. Okay, so you're taking your entrepreneur and mixing it with a nonprofit. That doesn't work, but you don't give up. And you have Moonclerk. What is Moonclerk? Yeah, so I mean, also I would say at the same time, I launched another side project that was working, which is called Loft Resumes. And I was doing that. So this is another tech? Uh, that was like, we built it on Shopify. It was sort of like an e-commerce slash service business. It was like high-end visual resume designs. People would choose templates, and then we had graphic artists that would fulfill um, those orders. Uh, so it's kind of service plus e-commerce. And that was working. So I was like, okay, I got at least I have something working. And then um, basically, Moon Clerk, out of Bell Strike, um, one of the kind of the bright spots was that we had, we had implemented recurring donations, and people liked that, but it was a pain for even for us to implement, and, you know, we had developers. So I started looking around at other industries and saying, okay, and again, this is like, yeah, early, you know, this is a while, you know, five plus years ago. Um, we have a lot of competitors now, but really, other than 
PayPal, you had, to, if you wanted to accept recurring donations, you had to be a developer. Um, or not donations, recurring Why payments. Why would you need to be a developer to accept payments? That because there wasn't software that did it. The recurring, recurring payments are that hard? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was no, there was no software. The only, you had like Chargeify um, and Recurly, which were APIs. So you had to program against those. You had to go to a bank, get a merchant account, you know, payment gateway, like all this stuff. And then you had to go implement the software or use PayPal. Okay. Um, so you could use PayPal, but there weren't really other options available if you were one of these, uh, you know, and just a business. So, um, so instead of having to go set up a bank and mm -hmm. our bank merchants, all this stuff, or PayPal. So yeah. We're built on top of Stripe. So this was like right when this Stripe. This is Moonclerk that's built Moon on top. Clerk, yeah. And this was right when Stripe uh, was launching, really. Um, and we kind of, we, we built on top of them. So that was a good, you know, wagon to hitch our horses to, uh, or vice versa. I don't know which way. So Moonclerk Moon is a recurring payment mm -hmm. option. Yeah, we allow small businesses to accept recurring payments without doing any programming. Um, so that's kind of our, we have other value add and stuff like that, but that's kind of one of the main pitches for it because, uh, yeah, particularly at the time, you either used PayPal to accept recurring payments or you had to be or hire a developer. Um, there was no other, you know, real option. So. You touched on this a little bit, but you're saying that Bell Strike, your failure was an inspiration, like a source of identifying a problem. And yeah, because that was you, built, you built another business off the top of your failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. That was the bright spot is, well, what we saw, like, okay, you know, these nonprofits like, even though the business failed, they liked the recurring donation part, and that was one of the main things they were asking for, um, the main features. And then it was hard to implement. It wasn't like an easy thing. It's a lot harder to build out recurring payments systems and software than it is like one-time payments. Uh, so, you know, I said, okay, so there's got to be other industries and other businesses that need this, um, need to accept recurring payments, and, you know, they don't have developers. So we kind of focused on the, that, the low-tech, um, you know, small businesses that don't have developers. Okay. So how did you pull this? This is obviously your success right now mm -hmm. as Moonclerk. From that day to now, what, what is, what's that story of Moonclerk? How did yeah, you get, so I, what do you call success? You have around 6,000 uh, paying? No, we got a little under 5,000. A little under yeah, five, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, well, I had started that also. I mean, that's, that's not a small number for a young company. That's, yeah. and you're funding this Yeah, we, uh, so we actually started it, have a co-founder, um, Ryan uh, Wood and Ryan was actually a contractor with me on Bell Strike, um, and we enjoyed working with each other and um, decided to start this business uh, together. Decided to start Moonclerk together, and that was that was over five years ago now that we started working on it. It was like I want to say May, uh, like five years ago. So yeah, a little you know, a little over. You know, I guess it would be like 62, 62 months ago or something, and. Uh, then we launched in February to the, well, I so said we launched in beta before that, like in the fall and then kind of to the public in, in February. So we're about four and a half, um, four and a half years old as far as like publicly available, um, that started working on over five years ago. Um, 
and yeah, it was all, we haven't ever really spent much money on advertising or anything like that. It's kind of been word of mouth um, and kind of organic. Uh, I mean, we've done some SEO like, but, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's been growing. We've never had like hockey stick growth or anything like that. It's just kind of been, uh, been steady um, since then. I think about 18 months in, we hit profitability. Not me drawing a salary. But then I could start drawing a little bit, and that kind of built up, or I could, you know. How have, are you, how are you I mean, if you're yeah, I had had, you know, I had um, had some in savings, and I'd made some money in Panama, and I was kind of down to the last. It was my last hurrah because I'd lost a lot of money in in Bell Strike, pretty much my life savings, and then I had some left, uh, so I kind of put that into Moonquirk, and then. Um, so you yeah, I'd put in a lot of money into into Bell Strike. That's one of those, those hard hard lessons learned. Down yeah, if Mooncore hadn't worked, it was going to be back to just getting a normal a normal job. Uh, so fortunately, though, it worked. So and it was you know, it took eighteen months to get profitable, but you know at the same time, like every month, our revenue was growing. So it was like better and better every month. Okay, I'm not spending as much money this month or that month. And really, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, so fortunately, we. We hit profitability and then uh, have been growing since. So we don't have a huge, we're still a small business. We don't have a huge staff or anything like that. Um, hopefully add, you know, one or, we got four of us now. Uh, hopefully add one or two more people this year, but um, by the end of the year, but we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, still a small, small business, but profitable. Yeah. You mentioned something, you said marketing and you, you did certain types of marketing for uh, not only rice bowls, mm -hmm. you said that was one of the shifts that you made. Mm -hmm. And then with Moonclerk, you said you did certain marketing things. I look at those sites, I see lots of stories on both of them. Mm -hmm. Moonclerk, you've got a whole page just dedicated, it's a huge list of peep customer stories. Mm -hmm. uh, rice bowls, same situation. You're just talking, you know, you're talking about the stories of the people. Mm -hmm. Are stories that big a component of your marketing, or I mean, what's making, what's getting people to buy into the, to yeah. these two separate? Oh, I mean, I love things. storytelling in particular. I guess like the ones on like Moonquirk are probably more like testimonials. So I do uh, a good bit, a uh, good many, um, you know, blog posts like interviews of customers. Okay, and one about their business, but then how Moonquirk's helped them and and things like that. So yeah, I. I wish I was better at analytics and everything to know or like somehow new data on, oh yeah, we have this many customers because we have all these testimonials and everything. I mean, I don't think it can hurt, uh, but I can't tell you exactly, oh yeah, this is why we're successful because we have, you know, have the customer testimonials uh, on there, but I have consistently from pretty early on done those and done um, blog posts, kind of you know, detailed blog posts on kind of case study type uh, um, type things, and that's helped. I certainly can't imagine. I mean, we have a pretty gr a great conversion rate, so I think that thing probably. I don't know if it actually goes out and gets us more business, like top of the funnel, like traffic, but I think it helps convert um, you know customers to uh, um, uh, to become paying customers. Would you say the same, uh, you know, rice bowls is obviously a different situation, but, you know, when you look at some nonprofits, I think Charity Water, I really like mm -hmm. what they do. 
Mm-hmm. They definitely gear it around the story of what's happening. Have you taken a similar model with rice bowls? Where, do, mm-hmm. where are you making your decisions there? Because, like you said, it's going downhill, and now it's obviously grown. I mean, you're mm-hmm. in, what did you say, eight, yeah. nine countries? Yeah, I mean, stories are definitely huge for us with rice bowls. A, they're just, like, fun. Um, but that also, like, is a direct, that's how you, we display, we display um, our effectiveness is, you know, telling stories and transformation in kids' lives and things like that. Um, so we don't have, like, you know, being kind of orphan care, it's harder for us to be like, oh, you know, like, I mean, you can say, like, we fed X number of people, but that doesn't really mean anything. But there are some organizations that have, like, real metrics. And, you know, for us, we've kind of focused more on the story uh, side of things and uh, hopefully creating that emotional connection with the kids. Um, is that so important to make the emotional connection? I have you have you avoided the statistics? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think people just kind of glaze over on statistics. I'm not like you never mention, you know, we never mention statistics, but people care more about individuals than they do um, statistics. So that's kind of we're getting ready to, or are we are currently undergoing kind of a brand refresh um, and everything. So we're actually doing way more on story. Um, hopefully that'll be ready by early fall, late, late the summer, um, something like that, kind of the brand, the brand refresh. So. so you have Moon Clerk, that's starting to feel good. In the middle of all of this, you decide to throw a twist in the nonprofit side, and you say, you're going to make a game, mm-hmm. an iPhone video game. Mm-hmm. Well, it was iPhone, it was also online and Android, yeah. So why, what well, is a video game going to do for a nonprofit? Yeah, I mean the... Uh, what is the video game number one? Yeah, it's called Hunger Crunch, um, and, you know, it's around, but we don't do a ton with it right now. Um, and the goal, the idea there was, you know, we have these little plastic piggy banks to shape a bowl of rice. We have tons of kids, you know, kids are mostly the ones who use that. Um, and that's, you know, because it's Boy Scout groups, Girl Scout groups, churches, schools, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's very much a kids helping kids uh, organization. And we wanted to continue that. And we were like, okay, hey, where are kids going to be more and more? And it's in front of screens. Um, so, yeah, we were like, okay, let's, we, the idea there was to come out with a freemium uh, video game that had like in-app purchases. And really, it took us so long to develop the game. I'd never developed a video game before that the market had changed a ton. It was just so much more competitive on iOS. Um, and so we, we had a, got a great recognition from the game and actually picked up key donors, like big donors from the game because they saw us doing cool stuff and they wanted to, you know, be involved with an organization that's doing cool stuff. You got featured on Facebook? Yeah, they actually flew us out there and we uh, won their, like, app of the social good app of the year, you know, for their F8 conference and you know, gave us a prize, you know, kind of monetary gift as well as kind of the award. And um, Were the rice bowls stopped? They weren't working as well? I mean, well, they still, I mean, over time, you got to think people are using change and dollar bills less and less. Uh, so that's, that's going to disappear over time. And now it's, uh, you know, said 25 to 30% of our business, uh, of our revenue, as opposed to 100%. And, and we've been growing, though. We have been growing in other ways. So that was the idea was to... Uh, um, to, uh, yeah, basically it was revenue to have ROI. We did not have the direct ROI that we were hoping for on that game. Um, 
but you know it was one of those things like it used to be a lot i don't want to say easier but you could have like an indie hit uh oh like when i say hit you could hit like a double and still make money um you know in on ios you know in the app store all that kind of stuff and it kind of by the time we had gotten there it had changed where there weren't a lot like basically it was like hitting the lottery to get you know to have an indie game actually make money um literally it was like even with facebook picking you up so even though facebook picks you up yeah because the thing is like you you had to have millions and millions of users Rather than, you know, we had tens of thousands to, you know, hundreds of thousands. And that just wasn't, you, to make those games work, you have to, uh, you have, to have a lot more users uh, than that. How did the game, what functionality of the game helps Rice Bowls raise money? Yeah, well, I mean, we basically had in-app purchases. So, you know, kids So the could, app is free? The app is free. It's a premium game. And then, you know, kids could do in-app purchases. We also tried doing, like, video game tournaments. We had like a tournaments feature, and so we were trying to get like youth groups, like you know, seventh grade versus eighth grade, and they actually had an event, and then they would buy an app purchase. It just didn't work. I mean, what uh, was so the inspiration? The, just curious, what was the inspiration behind the the tournament tournaments? Because you know you have charity waters because we wanted to have events, not just like a video game that you know people pull out and play, but actually like hey, show up, plan to spend ten dollars in this game tonight because we're going to have this tournament and uh, you know compete. Um, people like competitions, and that was like this thing that we could market and sell um, was an event because we already had relationships with you know churches and schools and you know Boy Scout groups and all that. Why were you doing events? Was that something the industry? No, we was... don't. They do events, so, right? Yeah, but I mean, why did you to make think the money? events would work? Was there an example? Because yeah, well, I mean, the the idea we're already doing events with rice bowls. You know, they would have kickoff events and stuff like that. So the idea was, hey, you've got 200 kids in your youth group. Have the middle school um, play the upper school for one night. Tell them to bring $10, uh, and they're going to play each other and see who can um, provide the most meals. You know, that, that type thing. Who can beat each other in the game, um, that type thing. So it was basically just a fundraiser. Like, you know, fundraising nights. You know, people have banquets and things like that to raise money, and this was an idea for kids to be able to – you know, to basically have a party um, and also raise money. So you've got Moon Clerk, you've got Rice Bowls. Is there anything new? Are you going to jump at something else or is this? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty focused uh, right now. Moon Clerk's growing and uh, Rice Bowls is growing and it takes up a good bit of my time. I sold the loft resumes. So I was actually trying to get something off my, off my plate um, a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm interested in virtual reality, VR, and uh, played around with that some and some development and stuff. But I don't, you know, we'll see if, if something comes of that. I don't know if anything will come of that at this point. It's kind of like idea and, you know, been talking to folks and figuring out what that could potentially look like. But, I, I mean, for right now, um, you know, I don't have any definite plans uh, for, uh, for anything else. Um, I'm kind of focusing on, on rice bowls and moon quirk. If you could go back, what would you tell your younger self? Uh, it's going to take way more time and way more money than you think. You know, that was the thing with like Bell Strike, most of, and in the video game as well, uh, learning something new. And I did learn from that with moon quirk. We launched a lot quicker and did it with, you know, just Ryan and I, um, you know, scaled down the scope of what we were doing, but I really didn't have an idea. Um, about that. Um, but, you know, that was part of the learning curve. 
Uh, I'd never done software before and had no idea, so you know, paid paid dearly for it. But um, you know, ultimately, hopefully, it works out. Yeah. Dodd, give what's your one piece of advice? What's oh man, don't take advice. That's my like. I don't like giving advice. I'd rather tell stories about my experience. What makes a good story then? Um, what makes a good story? Well, that's a little bit different. I think. I mean. What makes a good story is you, uh, I think one of the best things I've heard uh, is uh, always keep the hero in trouble. You can't, you can't bring the hero out of trouble in the middle of the, uh, middle of the story or the start of the story. He's got to always be in trouble. So if you're telling a story, yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't save the hero early. So tell stories and don't get the, so are you saying stay in trouble? <laughs> yeah, sure. Keep, keep the tension. Yep. Don, thank you so much for your time. It's been excellent. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate, appreciate you having me. Absolutely. All right. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you don't mind hopping over to iTunes and giving us a review, if you like the show, that would be awesome. We would love to see five stars from you. But if not, that's totally cool. Up to you. If you don't know what RoboJuice is, we take the guesswork out of web by using a proven process. We offer digital solutions that help companies eliminate the stress of maintaining an effective online platform, freeing you, business owners, to focus your time and energy on the areas that fuel your passion and creativity. So if you want to get in contact with us, you can head over to robojuice.com podcast, and we would love to hear from you there. Thanks again so much for your time today, and I hope you have a good one.